In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Hey guys, this is Jim Ramos with Men in the Arena. What you're about to listen to is a message I gave to a local gathering of men. I thought you might like to listen to this even if you weren't at the actual event. So I hope you enjoy this bonus episode on the Men in the Arena podcast. Hey, uh, I got to tell you, I had to cut out of here last week early, uh, flew to Alabama, got up at 2.30 in the morning, got to the airport, got over there, got there safely, everything was good. Uh, God really worked. It was really cool to see uh, one guy walked in the room, he drove like six, five hours to get there, and his first thing he said was, where's the cup? Because I had my backpack, my briefcase, and no cup. Because my theme for the year is clean the cup. I got called out in Alabama. I'm like, dude, I can't kick down an airplane. Another father and son drove six hours from Florida. They're on one of our virtual teams. So they sit at the table like you guys do, only it's a virtual table. And just to watch this father, son, what God did in their life. It was really, really cool uh, to see what God did at this conference. Got to speak at this church. And it was just really cool to watch God move. Getting home was a nightmare. I was delayed two days in the airport. I just got in this morning. I'm, yeah, so it, I'm really tired. So that means tonight the sermon's going to be really good because I'm not feeling good. So I want to share something with you. This is, I pulled this out of the closet. This is my wedding vows. So 30 years ago, we wrote our own vows and uh, Joseph did the wedding. So we were at the same church at the time. And uh, my, here, I'm going to read my vows to you. I think you're going to kick out of it. You'll, I've always said I have a high-maintenance marriage, and so you're going to know that here. So I said, I'm a 26-year-old kid, man. I said, um, I'm not perfect and have many faults, but today, before our friends and family, I make this promise to you. Were you at the wedding? You were invited. Why weren't you at my wedding? <laughs> anyway, I said, I promise to love, and share, love you with all my heart and uh, all that I have, and I'm, I can't read it, my eyes are too old, and I'm willing to grow, uh, to, uh, and, and willing to put your life ahead of my own. I promise to serve you, putting your needs before my own, so that my joy would be made complete in your fulfillment. I promise to be faithful to you, always putting my, only my relationship with God ahead of yours, or ahead of ours. I promise to nurture you and your relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing that our, your relationship with Him is the foundation of our relationship with each other. Lastly, I promise to do the best I can to pick up after myself around the house. <laughs> she made me put that part in. And, um, but it's really interesting because, you know, I told you this. I've got it in the book. We, we got married, went off. I married my, my angel, married my angel, went on the honeymoon from hell, had the worst honeymoon experience you could imagine, got back from the honeymoon. I realized my angel had turned into Satan. I get in the house. We had horrible premarital counseling. I had no, we were not prepared for marriage. And we, I get in the house and I'm like, okay, this is awesome. Hey, honey, what's for dinner? She said, I don't cook. <laughs> well, thank God I love to cook. I was a cook for eight years in high school and college. So I'm like, oh, you don't cook? I'm like, hey, let's have sex. She's like, whoa, dude, you don't just get sex. 
I'm like, are you kidding me? I've been waiting for three years for this thing. Come on now. So then I said, okay, I'm going to go take a nap. She said, when you go take a nap, this is true stuff. When you take a nap, pull off the duvet cover. We had, I didn't even know what a duvet cover was. I'm like, we don't have any, no, nothing French allowed in this house. Okay. So there's this floral cover and these beautiful pillows, like 12 pillows. So I go in there. I'm like, this is so cool because I slept. This is, this is true. For all through college and for the three years I was single, I slept in a sleeping bag. And I never washed it. It's probably why I was single for so long. And so, uh, so I finally get blankets and a duvet color cover and seven or eight pillows, 12 pillows. I mean, she said, pull all the pillows off, use your stained college pillow, and pull the duvet cover, cover off. I go, why? She said, well, those are decorative. She doesn't cook. I got to beg for sex. I can't sleep in the beautiful bed that she made. I go, I took a nap. I go, I'm taking a shower. She goes, okay. Your college towel is under the counter. Yeah, but we got these beautiful forest green. I didn't know that was a color. And navy blue, they're right there hanging. Why can't I use those? Those are decorative. Dude, I entered a season of hell, man. I'm serious. I remember calling my mom. Yeah, Jack. Yeah, she's, she was telling me a lot more than that, brother. <laughs> I remember calling my mom, pounding the steering wheel of my car, saying, Mom, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. I actually prayed on more than one occasion that my wife, that God would take her out. Car wreck, cancer, shot through the head. I don't care. I, I just, I wanted her out of the picture because I was a, I'm like, this is horrible. I, and I looked at my life and I said, okay, divorce is not an option. I had made that commitment years ago and I'd made that to her in front of 300 of our friends and family. So I have two choices in life. Either I make this marriage good or I suffer for 70 years. And I chose in her, so here's the funny part. I chose in her Jetta because she made me sell my truck because we could only afford one truck car because we were in ministry. I decided in that Jetta of hers that I was going to love her and make this work. And it's been a fight and we have a high maintenance marriage. But I'll tell you what, when people ask us, how'd you make it 30 years? You guys... Are, you guys are so close and you love each other so much. How'd you make it 30 years? We tell them two things. Jesus and we're stubborn. And I'll be honest with you, not in that order. Stubborn. But if it wasn't for Jesus, that commitment wouldn't have happened. And, and I, I just am committed to her because I gave her my word. And that meant something to me. And I stood before God. I stood before the God who, who is true to His word. I stood before the God that is true to His Word, and I gave her my Word. And that's important to me. And so tonight, I want to talk to you. To me, this is the heartbeat of this sermon series, because this is the reason why I did this series. Because over and over again, I'm running into guys that don't do what they say and say what they do, and they don't mean what they say. And we've got to fix that, because when a man doesn't do what he says he's going to do, and doesn't, do what he says, doesn't mean what he says he says, that is not representing the character of Jesus Christ. And if we're Christian men, we have to represent the character of Jesus Christ who said what he meant, did what he said, and said what he did. We need to do that. So I want to walk through a really common passage of Scripture tonight and help us to understand how we, as Christian dudes, should represent the character and nature of God through being men of our word. So here is the primary reason why we as believers should be men of our word. Because God stays true to his word every time why is that because god's character and nature demands it 
God's character and nature is true. He, he can't, I, I hate saying, this sounds weird, but God cannot move outside of his nature. It's part of his nature. His nature is truth. And because that's his nature, in some ways, and I know this is hard to put your brains around, God is limited in his capacity because of his nature. His nature limits him. Like God cannot lie because his nature prohibits that. I, I know that sounds almost like I'm putting God in a box, but this is a powerful thing for you to ponder. So, uh, Psalm 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your thoughts is righteous. John 1, 5, This is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. You know, i got to tell you something that's really cool. I mean, Isaac, Isaac loves to talk about this because Isaac's been with us throughout the entire story of Men in the Arena. So is Dale. So have several of you. So is Damien. Damien and I were praying together every Monday for years about the ministry. This month, we had 53,000 podcast downloads. We beat our old record by 10,000 downloads. From 150 nations. In two months, we will have a million downloads. We are the number one podcast. Maybe you don't, we don't toot this too often because it's a local group. We are the number one podcast for Christian men on Spotify. Last year, we decided to launch this thing called TikTok. And in eight months, we grew it to 90,000. God grew it. <laughs> We're going to have 365 men this year and women tell us a hero story, a story of transformation. I mean, I heard one from PJ just last week, and I haven't even written it down. That's a transform. That's a hero story. Last year, we had six videos with over one million views. One video had six million views. Now, if you do the math, those 15 guys in a coffee shop that you were one, you were one, you or Dale was one, 2% of people in America know who this ministry is now. Now, you think about that for a second. Two out of 100 Americans will go, I know who Men in the Arena is. I know those guys. That's so substantial. And I got to tell you guys, it's really humbling because when we launched this, it took me one month to have my house go into foreclosure. One month. Started in June. In July, I missed a house payment. I made a house payment in August. I missed it in September. So now I've got two house payments down. The white letters started coming. And then the yellow letters started coming. Does who else, anybody else had that happen before? And then, the, and then the pink letters start coming. And then the phone call from some dude from India start coming right? And they start coming and they come and they come and they come. And I remember I ran into three dudes in one week, Tom McFadden, who's now with Jesus, Jim Griffin, who's now in Lincoln City. He probably hopes he's with Jesus, <laughs> living in Lincoln City. Anyway, and then uh, and Mike Riley, who runs Young Life. And all three of those guys said, hey, Jim, God has put something on my heart. God's working in my life. And I go, tell me what he's doing. And they all three in the same week said, God is telling me Matthew 11, 28 to 30. All three of them, God was speaking to them individually and saying, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Now, I'm not the smartest apple on the tree, but I knew who God was really saying that to. So I started saying, God, your nature is true. Your nature is good. You stay true to your word. You called me to launch this and I'm losing my house. My wife is accosting me when I'm coming out of the shower because of my stress. My 12-year-old is getting ready to do a paper out to pay the house pills. Something's got to happen here. And God said to me, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. I've called you and I will bless you if you trust me. And so when I talk about being a man of your word, and when I talk about the character and nature of God, 
I am telling you that God is true to His Word. It is a part of His nature. And you can trust Him. And if I'm going to model my life after the King of kings and Lord of lords, I need to be like Him and stay true to my Word. Father, thanks for this time tonight with these guys. I pray that you would open your word to us, reveal three simple, simple truths about being a man of our word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. And I'm going to read this with you. And I'll read it slowly as you turn or, or thumb your way through it. But this is Jesus speaking, and he said this. And he's quoting the Old Testament. He says, you've heard it said that the ancients were told... You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor should you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no, anything else is evil. So not only is God's character and nature true, but Jesus, who spoke these words, he's the only person who is worthy to make this statement. Because God, not only is God and his nature true and righteous, but his son Jesus, having the character and nature of God, is the same way. So for me to be a man of the word, I want to imitate Jesus Christ, who did what he said. He finished what he said he would finish, especially, now this is important, especially when the going got tough. Especially, being a man of my word is either a character trait or a character flaw. Men, we are forged in the fires of affliction when life drops the hammer down. Jesus said what he meant, meant what he said, and did what he said he would do. Jesus said in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. That's easier said than done. Fast forward to Matthew, or Mark chapter 14, 33. Jesus began to be very distressed and troubled. He said to his disciples, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. This is the night before he was crucified. Remain here and keep watch. He went a little further beyond them, fell to the ground, and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Other gospel writers said his, blood, his sweat was like drops of blood. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Do you have a trigger? Millennial, like the jeers and the millennials love this phrase, trigger, that triggered me, that triggered me. I have a trigger. Do you know what it is, Parker? Yellow pintos. Yellow, oh, they trigger me, bro. You're a state trooper. You know how cars trigger you. You know that. You know that. Yellow, yellow Pinto. When I was seven years old, we used to run in the neighborhood in San Luis Obispo, Foothill Boulevard. There was a market called George's Market. You'd have to cross Foothill Boulevard to get to George's Market. And I was always the husky one of the group. I had these little kids, they used to tease me all the time. Come on, fatty. But you know, when I got puberty and I could bench 400, they didn't say that anymore. But when I was a little kid, they picked on me because I was overweight. Well, we'd all run the neighborhood. My little brother was two years younger, and he was like super small and super weak, and I was super chubby and super overweight. 
So we're going to the grocery store all on our little bikes. You know, I had my purple stingray with a banana seat. Anybody have that bike? Is that bad bike was rad. Anyway, I'm going through there and we and my you know, Rod Hoadley, shoom, he goes through. Fred, Fred Murphy, or, or uh, Frank Murphy, he goes through. Fred Hoadley, the older brother, boom, he goes through. They all go through, but then here comes rain, the light turns yellow. My brother's so far behind, he can't even make it. But I'm like, I'm going to make it, man. I don't care if I'm a chubby guy in a purple Schwinn with a banana seat. I cross that street, and the light turns red like halfway across. And I got hit by a yellow flipping Pinto. And it launched me. And it launched me in the air. It hit me hard. And I hit the ground. I'm rolling. I get up. I'm bleeding. And everybody rallies around me. I just got hit by a car. All I can think of is my dad's going to kill me for running a red light. That's the kind of dad I had. And I'm like crying. I'm okay. I'm bleeding. Everybody, are you okay, little boy? Little husky fat boy? Are you okay? I'm like, no, no. I've got my husky Wranglers on and my bloody t-shirt. I'm okay. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I run across the street. I grab my brother. My brother's sitting over there crying. He's weeping. Oh, you got hit my car. I'm like, Tommy, 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 Tommy. Don't tell dad. Don't tell dad. Don't tell dad. I got to tell dad. I got to tell mom. I got to tell mom. I go, I pulled out a quarter. Lad. Back then, a quarter meant something. It could have bought, you could buy 25 pieces of licorice for a quarter. You could have bought a pack of bubble gum with baseball cards in it for a quarter. It bought a lot of things. I said, Tommy, I will give you this quarter if you don't tell mom. He goes, okay. You know, that kid for 50 years has not said a word. In fact, a couple years ago, I said, bro, thank you so much for never telling him that I got hit by a car. He goes, you got hit by a car? He totally forgot the whole incident. He totally forgot the whole incident. But I thought, you know, and to this day, he's like, he's just, I think that forged something in him. He's just a man of his word. Like, my brother, he's got his faults, but man, if he says it, that settles it. And I thought, man, here's a little six-year-old, five-year-old kid for a quarter, locking it down for a lifetime. You know what I mean? And we can't even make it to... Our kids' soccer game on time. I mean, think about this for a second. So, you know, when I think of my little brother who can do it, and I think of my Lord and Savior Jesus who did it every time, I think, man, I need to imitate that, that part of my life. Look what Jesus said in, in Matthew 5, 37. He said, let your yes be yes. In other words, the man of his word, again, you're going to hear this a lot, guys. He means what he says, he said what he means, and he does what he says he will do. The man of his word is there when he says he will be. He finishes what he starts, and he means what he says without a discussion or an exclamation, an explanation. And here's what, here's what I realized. The man of his word does not have to. He, when he gives his word, he says, yes, I'll be there. That means a couple things. That means he doesn't have to make a promise. He doesn't need clarification. So when you say you're going to be there, Isaac, like what does that mean? I mean, like, you're going to, what time are you going to be there? I mean, there's no explanation required. There's no clarification required. And there's no discussion required or explanation. He says it, that settles it. In James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. Titus 1.16, this is the Bible verse I read and journaled this week. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him. So if I want to imitate God in His word who is true to his word, and his son who is true to his word, I need to be true to my word. Because I'm imitating Jesus. David Jeremiah years ago preached a sermon, and I heard this on the radio and I wrote it down, I've never forgot this. And he said this, he said, integrity is staying true to your word 
even if the circumstances surrounded when you gave your word have changed. That impacted me when I was married. That impacted me. So I'm going to tell you a story that happened just last week. I was on an airplane three years ago flying from Seattle down to California, and a guy gets on the plane in front of me wearing a camouflage jacket, which is not a big deal. We see that all the time in the airport. We see that all the time, right? Well, I get in the airport. I'm like, Jeff, it's a guy that I hunted mule deer with for the first time on September 12, 2001. We left the day after 2001. We went his elk hunt or a deer hunt, killed my first mule deer. This godly guy hadn't seen him in 20 years. So here's Jeff. He owns a house and he has a property in Alaska, which he auctions every year for our banquet that came out of this meeting on the airplane. So we get off the plane. He gave me a bunch of fish. He just got back from Alaska and we've reconnected and we've become dear friends. We're heading to uh, Wyoming to hunt antelope this year. And uh, he said, hey, Jim, uh, he, he got out of Colorado and he killed some bucks. He found this new area, literally a mile from Vail, Colorado. He, and I said, hey, man, I got eight points. He goes, hey, listen, I'm going to be there next year taking a buddy of mine who's drawn the tag. Jeff does not have a tag. He's taking his buddy. But if you draw the tag for the third season, because I'm taking this buddy second season, I will stay there in Colorado. You fly down. I'll drive to Salt Lake. I'll pick you up. I'll take you hunting. And then I'll help you get home. I was like, okay, that's cool. We're having breakfast, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, okay, maybe we're spitballing. So I called him last week. I said, hey, Jeff, remember when you said all that? He goes, yeah. I go, did you mean it? You know what he said to me? He got real serious. He goes, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I offended him because he meant it. He meant it. And I just think, I think of another guy last year who took me hunting, who begged me to go hunting, had all these spots, and we got down there. He goes, oh, I really don't have these spots. I just want to vet you and see if you're the man you say you are. I'm like, well, I know the man that you say you are. So I just thought it was really interesting, these two contrasts, right? So when, when we say yes to something, we shouldn't need to explain ourselves. We shouldn't need somebody to clarify with us. We shouldn't have to, man, the moment you have to make a promise to your kids, you're going to go to their soccer game, bro, you got a problem as a father. I got Mike Goins back there. Mike is our boardman, chairman of our board. When Mike says he's going to do it, it's done. I don't even think twice. It's just done every time. The man of his word not only follows through on his promises, but he has the guts to take the next step. Here's the next step. Jesus said, but let your statement be no, no. So the man of his word, negatively speaking, the man of his word doesn't do what he doesn't want to do, and he isn't afraid to say no because he says what he means, he means what he says, and he does what he commits to do. Now, this is a problem in this day and age because I have guys all the time say they're going to be somewhere and they aren't. I go to a church, a little country church in Yamhill, Yamhill Christian Church. I've been there for almost 10 years. I think those guys are all at that table right there. And they aren't the handsomest looking group, especially the guy with the cowboy hat. But I'm going to tell you something. Those guys, if those guys say it, it's done. I don't, I mean, I'm just something about that. There's something about that group of guys. I don't know if it's a country life. I don't know, but they just do what they say they're going to do. And they, if they aren't going to do it, they tell you, I'm not going to do it. And you go, oh, can I get a maybe? Can I get, I'll pray about it? No, I'm not doing it. I appreciate it. Oh, there's one other. <laughs> I forgot about Lad. Sorry, Lad. I'm just looking. I, you're just too handsome to be at that table. Okay. 
So, so this is so the finest compliment that you can pay a man. This is evil Knievel speaking, the daredevil. The finest compliment you can pay a man is that his word is good as gold. Psalm 76, 11 says, Make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. So I want to talk to you about Josh the Killer Togstead. So I've named him the killer. Does he does he look like a killer? He looks like a mass murderer. If you saw that guy on the street right there, smiling at you, you'd be like, oh, I'm good to go. No, he's going to kill you. He's a killer. He is, he is so boring. He, he lulls you into it, then he kills you. I show up every, when I show up at 6 o'clock, Dale's here. Dale is paid to be here, so that's his job. But Dale's here every night, at, every week at 6 o'clock. And Josh is here every week at 6 o'clock. It is boring how faithful that guy is. It's boring. I know my sound's going to work. I know it's going to be set up. And I know if Josh didn't show up, it'd be like, did we have a rapture? Where's Josh? Josh isn't here? Because Josh is the silent killer. He is just a man of his word. Doesn't boast. He's not bragging about stuff. He just gets it done every time on time. Man, isn't that, that's a cool trait to have. You know, the guys like me that walk in the room are like sucking all the oxygen out of the air. I mean, you know, but those guys, those guys, they're the ones that are the heroes. Barry back there, Rick back there. You, all of you in this room, a lot of you in this room are like that. But to just have the ability to say no. No, I'm not going to do that. Why don't you pray about it? No, I'm not, I don't need to. I'm not doing it. I'm already overcommitted. Man, if we could be better at that, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So the third trait I want to share with you, the final trait, this is a trait that's often overlooked by guys. When you read this passage, you go, your yes be yes, your no be no. This is easy. But if you don't read the whole verse, you miss a critical element. So look at this. Jesus said, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Now watch this last part. Anything beyond these is evil. Now listen to this. This is my interpretation of this. Now it may be wrong, but this is how I interpret it. The man of his word doesn't ghost others. Let me tell you what that means to me. After hiding, he doesn't ghost others by hiding behind weak words of weak men who say things like this. These, here are the weak words and phrases that make me want to puke. I promise. Maybe. I'll see what I can do. I'll try. If I can, I will. Those are weak and passive ways of not being a man of your word. If you honestly don't know, say, hey man, I'm not going to say yes or no. I really don't know. But I'll get back to you. But, or hey, can you come to Wednesday nights? Yes, no. Or let me, like I asked Eric, hey man, you want to come to Wednesday nights? And Eric said, He's my painter, by the way. He said, oh, I can't make it this week, but I'll be there next week. I totally forgot about that. He walks in the door. I'm like, man of his word, right there. It happened tonight to me. But we live in a world, you guys, <laughs> where we get people don't answer texts. People call and don't leave a message, and they expect you to call them back. They say things like, maybe. They're ghosting people all the time. And I just have, I'm just convinced, guys, that weak and soft words and phrases are used by weak and soft people. There's an ancient theologian. His name is Yoda. And Yoda said, 
do not try. There is no, no, he said, do do or do not, there is no try. Now that Yoda had something going on. Ancient Yoda the Jedi, little green guy about that tall. Yeah, I can't say it. Can you say it that way? I know I can't say it, man. I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. So, but all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is I'm never going to buy chips ever again. Yeah, I'm never going to buy them after a phone call I had today. There's a dear friend of mine. He, um, he started one of the major companies in the world. He sold it in 2010. He's been a prayer guy and a supporter of our ministry since probably eight years ago. He actually gave me his personal book. So I have a personal book from the guy who started the biggest, one of the biggest companies in the world at the time out of. I loaned that book to Isaac. Isaac shot a big bull of that. I shot a big bull of that. And it's from the owner of that company. He started a company about 10 years ago. His company was struggling. So he formed a partnership with because they're, they're just killing it. And so they're like, we need somebody to make our... So he said, okay. And this, is a, this guy I'm telling you about, he's a godly man. He is a godly man. So he forms a partnership with these guys. They go in to sign the contract. The company comes in and says, oh, we're going to renegotiate the terms. Here's the terms. Now, my buddy had already taken $2.5 million of his own money and invested it in this deal. So when they changed the deal, he said, I don't have a choice because I'm going to go bankrupt. Yes, I'll do the deal. They signed the papers and still did not come through with the program. I emailed my buddy a week, uh, four days ago out of Alabama, and I said, hey, I need you to, I asked him, I'm asking him to help support something for our bank. We're trying to bring somebody on full-time. And I sent him the email, and the email came back. It bounced back. I'm like, why? That's weird. So I called him. He goes, yeah, you didn't hear what happened? So when they recanted on that deal, he went bankrupt. and had a, He's no longer part of this company that he started. And he said to me on the phone today, on the phone today, he said, you know, Jim, if they just did what they said they were going to do, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I thought, I'm preaching tonight on that. It makes sense, right, Isaac? You're a company owner. If you're not a man of your word, is your company going to be a company of its word? You're a, you're a business owner, Paul, right? I want to know when I call Paul, if he's a man of his word, which I know he is, his company will be a man of its word. So let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. And avoid weak words because you want to get out of a commitment. So here's my thought tonight, guys. Here's what I think we should do as men of our word. Show up when you say you will be there. And be there on time. Fulfill your commitments even if the situation changes. Never use weak or non-committal words or phrases. Be honest about you will and will not do. And I, and I, I want to ask you to do something. You married dudes. I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to grab your vows, find your vows, email your pastor, and I want you to get your vows out with your wife and just read them together. Some of you maybe need to call your ex-wife and apologize. I, I'm not thinking of anybody. I'm just thinking when I put this together, I thought there may be guys in here that need to make a phone call. I don't know. I just know that this is a big deal. And if we can't be a man of our word in little teeny things, don't be surprised when our marriages blow up. Don't be surprised when we lose our jobs. Don't be surprised when our lives collapse. So, I hope that helps tonight, guys. It helped me. I mean, this has been an eye-opener for me. I'm like, man, i got to work on a few things. There's a few things I need to work on.
Father, thanks to these guys in this time. Help us to reflect on this as we dive into your word. And God, uh, anything that I've said that is not of your word, that you would strike it or convict me of it. And God, that everything that's said that's from your word, that you would help us to grow closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.